ultimately, almost every business is monetizable in some way at the end of it if you build it right. And if it's not solely dependent upon you and if it has value beyond you because you've built processes and systems, because you shift your mindset, because you've built team, because you built a brand beyond yourself, because, you know, marketing and, and that kind of stuff involved. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Let's get started. This is a solo cast, and on this solo cast, I wanted to talk about something that may seem unrelated to deals initially, but I think you'll see why it does relate to not only ongoing deals, but certainly the ultimate exit deal that could be possible for your company. And that is a few topics uh, that I'm going to cover here. And also, you'll notice that we're having some guests on the podcast, you know, we've had and we will have that are speaking about things that are more in terms of the things you need to do in your company to prepare yourself to be in a position even to think about doing certain types of deals and also to put you in the best position for that exit deal going forward. So it's things like building team, it's things like putting processes in place, it's things like having a company that is less dependent upon you as the founder. And all of these things and resources that we're gonna talk about you know, make a huge difference because one of the things we do find is that although it is a myth that you need to be a huge company with huge resources and major capital to do deals because deals are not only major financing and M&A deals, as we've, anybody who's listened to this podcast for any amount of time uh, understands and knows we've covered everything from, you know, joint ventures and strategic alliances and licensing deals and affiliate deals online and sponsorship and you name it, you know, business partnerships. So everybody can do a deal. However, it does take some level of resource, at least somebody's time and focus and energy to get deals done. And if you are in the position where you are working in your business as the founder of founders, and you have to be there every single day to make sure the sausage is getting made, so to speak, or the products are going out, or you're, you're the one actually delivering the services to the client, and you don't have a lot of time to work on uh, you know, the proverbial statement about working on your business, not in your business, right? Shout out to Michael Gerber and the E-Myth, and that book has a lot more in it than that concept. But, you know, that's what popularized this concept of uh, working on your business, not in it. You know, if you're not doing those things and you haven't built team and you haven't put systems in place, your ability to do deals successfully and your ability to not have the your focus on deals distract from your core business is problematic. So as we have, uh, you know, work with clients through the law firm and also through our speaking training and consulting company on preparing them and talking to them about what they need to do to be successful at doing deals, 
one of the things that we've really found and, you know, and, and, and also in my mentoring of so many companies, whether that's in, you know, was in the Entrepreneurs Organization Accelerator Program or, you know, other types of mentoring I do of entrepreneurs who are growing, you know, starting up in earlier stage and, and maybe even been around for a while and, you know, sort of stuck. What, you know, what you find is that there's a lot of things around mindset shift around, which is what it always starts for me. And around building a company that runs efficiently, that is not dependent upon one person, that allow them to, first of all, you know, well, create enterprise value, right? Build something that has value beyond their own services so that they can, you know, sell it. So, you know, the concept of scalable and saleable. And, you know, that, that's true whether you're ever going to sell it or not. But listen, why not be in a position where you can monetize at the end? You know, I look at people who sort of get the end of their business and retire and the business goes away. And, you know, there are so many ways. I mean, you may not listen. One of my business, my law firm is not, I mean, nowadays you're allowed to sell a law firm. For many years, you were not allowed to sell a law firm. But practically, you can't just sell a law firm. You can't, it's not like a widget company. Uh, It's not a manufacturing company. It's not a retail store. It's not a restaurant. I can't just, you know, sell my company to some other lawyer and and all the clients are going to stay. Right, you need to do it in a way where you enter into a you know a partnership, or you stay on for a while, and you make introductions. You know, there's a whole process. But ultimately, almost every business is monetizable in some way at the end of it if you build it right, and and if it's not solely dependent upon you, and if it has value beyond you because you've built processes and systems, because you shift your mindset, because you've built team, because you built a brand beyond yourself, because you have you know marketing and and that kind of stuff involved. So, so I want to talk about some of this stuff on this podcast the solo cast, and you're going to hear from, and you have started to hear from certain, you know, experts and, and entrepreneurs who have experience in doing that, which has allowed them to not only be in a better position to do that ultimate deal, that exit deal at the end, but it's also freed them up and made that company more valuable and increased their profits and frees them up and allows them then to do deals that, you know, during their operations in existence, not just at the end, which help them grow even faster. So the two are really related. And in some of the work that you know we do with clients, and if, you know, uh, you'll see some of the programs we offer to help people do this. So let's talk about a few of the things. Okay, let's start at a very fundamental level. Okay, and that is you know the concept of working in your business and not on it. One of the things I always do, and I have a detailed exercise about this that you know I'm not going to go into here, but at a short level is, is have people out, figure out what their highest and best use areas are. So what does that mean? That means what is it that you are great at, but that's not enough. You also have to love doing it because you don't want to do stuff you're talented at that you hate. And that's not enough. A lot of people stop there. Hey, I'm great at it. And, you know, I love doing it, but is it highly leveraged? Does it make a big difference in your organization? Does it move the needle? Because you as as the owner, as the CEO, as the high level executive, you know, in your company, if you're not doing stuff at that level, then that's your first problem. And there's a whole exercise that, you know, that, that I give in some of my programs on how to figure out what those areas are. By the way, there should be a maximum of five, three to five is usually the range, maximum of five areas, that's it. And a way to figure out how much time you're spending there and then a whole exercise on how you get, you know, increase that percentage. So that's point one, figure out what those highest and best user areas are. Second of all, all right, build team. I was just uh, actually on uh, a call today with an entrepreneur who, you know, I won't mention who it is, who we were talking about, um, you know, the fact that I've got this team and I've built this, you know, this phenomenal team and they do a lot of the work in the areas that, you know, they're more talented in, right? It's their highest and best use areas and the stuff that I don't want to be doing. And it allows me to leverage, allows me to do the high level things that I do. And just to give you an idea, my highest and best use areas, are there are five. 
And I've developed them over time. Originally, there were four. I realized there was a fifth. And they've sort of, um, they've stayed the same. And they are what they are. But the definitions at the levels of them have increased o- over the years. So 15 plus years ago, when I figured this out, you know, they've been consistent since. And the whole game has been, how do I move from what I, you know, told myself was only 20% of my time in my highest and best years areas back then to the, you know, 85 or 90% of the time that I spend now. And by the way, you know, I always say to people that I lied to myself back then. I couldn't, I, um, 20% seemed so low and it was probably five or 6% or four or 5% in reality, but I was not being, I couldn't be honest with myself. So as an example, and you should really come up with yours independently. What mine are doesn't, don't matter. Yours would be probably very different. But for me, mine is bringing in business, right? You know, I love being out there and presenting our products and services and, and the value proposition we provide and, you know, bringing clients and uh, to the table. I love doing that. So that's number one, and I'm great at it. And it's highly leveraged for, my, for my, both my law firm and my speaking training and consulting company. Number two, I'm going to focus this on the law firm side because I've, I've got them on, on each side and they're similar, but I'll express them on the law firm side. Number two is high-level structuring of deals right? I love structuring, right? The client comes in, we're looking to do some sort of deal. I figure out the client's business objectives, and then I figure out the best structure to get them there, taking into account what they want to achieve, legal requirements, tax, all that kind of stuff. Second and third of all, high-level strategy. Client needs to think through something strategically in terms of whether it's related to whether they should do a certain deal, they have a particular situation in their company, you know, any kind of entrepreneurial growth business deal kind of uh, area negotiating I love the strategic side of it. The fourth one is actually negotiating. And again, this is an example where it's evolved over time. You know, in the beginning, I just said negotiating. You know, now I've built a great team who are, you know, skilled and able to negotiate on the smaller deals and on certain, you know, middle deals and certain types of things. But when we get to high level, you know, important, strategic, significant negotiations, I handle those myself. It's obviously an area I wrote a book on, my authentic negotiating book. And I love doing it, and it really does move the needle. And then finally, the fifth one, which I hadn't realized when I first did this, but a few months later realized that there was a fifth one uh, many years ago, which is that it's training and developing my team, right? Again, something I love doing, and if, uh, there's no way I'm going to scale and only do those other four things if I don't train and develop my team. So that's the fifth one for me. So it's just an example, right? For other people, it could be related to marketing, it could be related to programming, it could be related to curriculum design, it could be related to um, designing products, you know, inventing products. It could be, you know, who knows what it is for you. It could be uh, being on stage as a speaker all the time. So, you know, figure that out. That's point one. Then what you do is you go and figure out what processes you have to put in place and build a team. Now, with regard to the building a team concept, and this is what I started to say a moment ago with this entrepreneur I was talking to today. This person said to me, you know, listen, you've built this, you know, amazing team, you know, you've been able to scale. He's, you know, I'm super good at what I do, but my problem is that I have not been able to, or I have not chosen to hire a team. I haven't gotten the right people. I'm kind of a perfectionist and I don't think anybody's going to do it as good as I do. Well, that's a classic problem. The perfectionist thing and also the lack of trust and ability to find people, but often the ability to find people is not really the thing because there are quality people out there. Trust me, I've found them. You know, sometimes for certain positions, I'm not saying it's less easy than others, but ultimately you can find the right people out there. But the perception that there isn't the right people, you know, right person out there because you are the kind of person that 
it needs to do it yourself. That has, you know, it has to be perfect. And anytime somebody else does it differently or whatever, it's not good enough. And I shared with this person that many years ago, we had a speaker who I wish I could credit them. I don't remember who it was. I'm pretty sure it was an entrepreneur's organization person out of Las Vegas who built a very successful, I mean, tens of millions of dollars company. And what they said was that their view, they used to be that way and that their view and approach is that if somebody can do it 80% as good as them, that's when they delegate it. And they just kept building people. Now, listen, I want to acknowledge that if you are a uh, brain surgeon, you're not going to put somebody in there and and that's not the kind of business that lends itself to leveraging somebody who can do it 80% as good. And even in what I do as a lawyer, right? You know, as to certain expertise and et cetera, it can't be somebody, you know, who's only 80% as good. But just that, that concept as a mindset shift is helpful because even on my law firm side, what it gets you out of is the fact that often some people do it differently and it doesn't seem like it is as good, but you know what? Maybe it's good, sometimes it's even better. And also, even if the person could do something 80% as good, it might be the kind of thing where they're going to get it 80% there, right? So in other words, instead of drafting the marketing piece or the legal document or the, you know, or the curriculum or designing the product 100% yourself, if somebody can get it 80% there and then you can pick it up from there, obviously it cuts down on your time. So that's an interesting concept. So the ability to build, find, and trust you know, and empower team and to let go of control and perfectionism is a huge you know, next step that people have to deal with. And then how do you, how do you systemize? How do you, process, how do you keep repeatable systems in place instead of reinventing the wheel every time? So, you know, we're going to be addressing and dealing with a lot of that kind of stuff in various of our programs, some of which you'll hear about right now. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to join our DealQuest community group on Facebook. There, you'll have a chance to engage with other entrepreneurs, business owners, executives, and leaders who are looking to grow, do deals, and make a bigger impact. In addition to the great content and community, you can also register there for our conversations, community, and cocktail Zoom calls and the upcoming Deal Den Zoom calls during which you will have the opportunity to brainstorm and get support with deal-driven growth for your company. Now back to the show. Okay, folks, so we're back. So listen, whether you, you know whether you work with us and in, in any of the things that we're doing, or you listen to the guests we're going to have on, the, on this podcast, or you read other resources for it, you know, in order to be in a position, one, to just have a successful business that's grown organically and that scales in a way that's not dependent upon you. So you have a better lifestyle, right? So you're not working 20 hours a day so that you're not under stress all the time so that you can also bring in expertise and surround yourself with people who are better at certain things than you do. You know, independent of deals, this is the body of work that, you know, that needs to be done. But then, as I said in the beginning, and I want to explore this a little more, think about it. You know, if you have more capacity, more team built, if you have systemized things, if you've, because you're acting in your highest and best use areas, you are now leveraging what you're best at, which means that you're going to be producing more revenue. And now you've built this team who is also either producing revenue and or helping getting the work done, you know, depending upon what your model is, then not only are you going to have more time, which is for many of us, our most valuable resource, but also you should be more successful. So that means you're making more money, which is great personally, great for the business, et cetera. But also then you have more time, more capital and more labor resources, more expertise resources, more intellectual property and personal you know, intellectual capability 
in your team to be able to focus yourself and maybe some and some of your team on deals, right? In some deals, you got to put numbers together. Well, you know, if you built up a capacity of a team and a finance team, bookkeeper, accountant, internal finance people, et cetera, well, they can pull the numbers together for you, right? If you have marketing people you've built up, then you know, they could put together the uh, the marketing materials either to attract, you know, that deal partner and or for the joint venture or strategic alliance uh, that you're going to do. So, you know, doing these things helps you grow organically and then makes more deals, more types of deals, bigger types of deals available to you inorganically through deal-driven growth. And then, of course, increases your enterprise value and, and valuation on the back end. So what are some of the things that stand in the way of why doesn't every entrepreneur do this? Why are there so many solo entrepreneurs and very small companies out there that want to grow, that are struggling and can't get beyond that? So I want to hit just on a few things that I think about, and we address, you'll, you'll hear some more from various of our guests that we have on the podcast here and, you know, and can definitely delve in through some of our programs. But so first thing I want to acknowledge before I go to this is that there are some portion of, you know, solopreneurs and very small companies that do it by choice. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's everything right with that if that's what you want to do, right? I always preach self-awareness and nobody has to grow or scale for the sake of growth and scale. In the entrepreneurial community, there's this pressure to grow and there's this judgment. And I've talked about this in the past of people who don't want to grow. And there's this derogatory, often uh, negative connotation of lifestyle businesses. And uh, many of you have heard me say, I don't buy into that. I think every business should be a lifestyle business, whether it's you know conquering the world and raising billions of dollars in, in venture capital and public money, or whether it's you know somebody, a solo person at home. For the founder, that business should be aligned with the life they want to create, whatever that looks like. So for me, that's the definition of lifestyle business. But my point is that you know, if you are happy being a, a solopreneur, you're not looking to scale, you're not looking to build a team, you're not looking to build enterprise value, you can make, make a nice living and you're fine without monetizing in the back end, then do you, you know, do it. But, or and, many of the companies that are, uh, whether it's solopreneurs or smaller companies, are actually looking to scale, maybe not, you know, to become the next uh, Facebook or Tesla, but to get to a place where the company is less dependent upon them, where they can build some level of scale and team, where they can build some sort of enterprise value and where they can have less stress and have more time for their lives. So if you're in that category where you're looking to grow, I mean, that, those are the people that I love working with. Those are our ideal clients and whatever in, in all my businesses. Those are my friends and the people I hang out with are you know, interesting op- entrepreneurs who are always looking for opportunities. That's what's fun to me. So if you're that, that kind of person, then, okay, great. So then what has stopped you from doing that to date? And the place to always start in my mind is with yourself and with myself. And the, only, uh, the main reason I can, I think, say this with credibility is because I've been through this journey, right? I started as a solo attorney, all right, working for my studio apartment in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, where I was paying rent stabilized 600 bucks a month, renting the conference room by the hour for the, you know, for the meeting or two I had, you know, for any kind of client I developed back then, right? I've scaled my law firm. I built, you know, other businesses. I work with clients to do that. And I've, I'm in a place now where many of you know, you know, I'm by coastal app, you know, outside of, you know, when you can travel. And, uh, you know, I do a lot of uh, travel and retreats and, you know, my clients are well-served and my company grows and, and my team is in place, right? So I've developed my business in a way where they serve my life while also growing and providing a great place for employees and providing great products for services. So, you know, I'm speaking from experience here 
in saying to you that it starts with us. It starts with our limiting beliefs. It starts with our, meaning the founders, meaning the key executives, our mindset and shifting those to have a different relationship to our companies, to being open to learning and growth, to going to you know programs, seminars, not only on business growth and at systemization and how to build a team, but also on personal growth. Because your own limiting beliefs, your own fear and scarcity, your own you know, things, whether they came up from, you know, your relationship to money is a huge one. I can't tell you how much work I've done on my relationship to money, how many books I've read, programs I've taken doing all of this, because that, you know, is what, listen, lower middle class kid from Brooklyn, right? Thought I was rich when I first got a, a job in a, you know, in a big law firm, making any, any kind of real money in 1985, uh, you know, it was 40 something thousand dollars a year. I thought, wow, that's amazing. But had to learn how to, you know, relate to money. I had to be able to hold in my being my value and be able to raise that over time and know that I am providing great value to clients as I raise my rates over time, right? Then I had to learn a new lesson, which was I used to make a lot of money and it would all disappear. And then I had to learn how to build wealth. You know, shout out to Barbara Busan, who was a, a money coach who gave me that distinction. She, she said, boy, you know how to make money. You just don't know how to build wealth many years ago. And you know what? Ever since I started building wealth. The thing is, no matter what I did in business, if I didn't have those mindset shifts of uh, my relationship to money, if you're not in a position where you value what you provide and you can stand in the value of that as opposed to the feeling like an imposter or being in scarcity or you know not valuing yourself, you know, if you don't make that shift to do that, if you don't make your shift to build wealth, if you don't make that shift to come from an abundance mentality as opposed to a scarcity mentality, then I don't care what skills you learn in business, you're going to be limited. It's just the way it works. So that internal body of work that we need to do, not only around money, but around you know self-worth, uh, around confidence, around ability to trust and delegate are the key initial steps. And then yes, do we need to learn skills? Do we need to learn? You know, I've done some great courses on how to systemize my business, on how to train other people, you know, on how to you know, um, create a culture in my company where my employees, you know, love being there where they're valued, where their input is, is heard and, you know, figuring out how, I was going to say how to keep them motivated, but frankly, I mean, I, I hire a lot of self-motivated folks. So, but I do still, you know, need to hold them accountable to results as opposed to tasks. So all of that stuff is stuff that we need to learn as entrepreneurs and continue to develop in a way that would allow our businesses to scale. And throughout the programs we do, we give a lot of outside resources, even just on the, uh, on my website, on coreycupford.com, on the, um, you know, my personal brand website, there is um, a list of, um, and resources, a list of mentors of mine, you know, Wallace Waddles, uh, The Science of Getting Rich, which definitely worked is a seminal thing for me, the work I've done with Bob Proctor and others. So the message is this. If you want to be able to do more and more deal-driven growth, getting your business running in a way where it's organically successful, where it's less dependent upon you, where you've built team, where you've put processes in place, where you are generating more free cash flow, where you've freed up your time, is going to put you in the best position to also be able to then augment that or really at times, you know, multiply that by doing deal-driven growth as well. And then, of course, then it feeds back into your ability to continue to scale and build team and put new processes in place when you get to that next level. Yeah. So, you know, listen in. What I am committed to is not only deal-driven growth, but really entrepreneurial freedom. And you'll see that in some of the stuff we're doing with our entrepreneurial freedom plan. And if you have any questions, definitely reach out. 
yeah, it's, uh, I just love working with entrepreneurs. I love helping people achieve uh, their dreams and visions. And folks, there's some tough inner work we all need to do and that I've done. So if you're looking for the quick tip or the fix or the you know, single thing that's going to have it snap all into place for you, there may be something that comes in in terms of a mindset shift. But if you're looking for that surface level tip, I'm not the guy, right? Anything I do is not about that. There's work to be done. And a lot of it's the internal work. So if you're willing to do that, then keep listening and uh, you know, check out some of the other stuff we're doing. With that, I will sign out for this week. Look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. You can be a friend of the show by leaving a review on the Good Pods app, podchaser.com, or any major podcast player. Every review helps the show reach more listeners. If you're ready to take your deal-making to the next level by becoming a master negotiator, head over to Amazon or Audible and grab a copy of my best-selling book, Authentic Negotiating. Then connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know your thoughts. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.